The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. And let's turn to Ephesians chapter number 4. Looking forward to tonight, 5 o'clock. We are in the book of Ruth, and it's a tremendous, tremendous study. Um, We've had many folks that have commented here on what a blessing it's been to them, and I want to encourage you to join with us. Also, some uh, time of uh, just fellowship, and that's also important. A lot of good things coming up that we want you to be a part of. Now, this sign-up, just don't leave the auditorium without signing up for next Sunday night's uh, adult Christmas party. And uh, we'll have that in our multi-purpose room. It'll be a potluck meal. We'll enjoy some good food and some fun. And uh, we'll uh, also have that uh, white elephant gift exchange. That's kind of uh, the highlight of the evening. Uh, Try to keep your gift there between $10 and $20. But uh, we have a a lot of fun with that. Just uh, enjoy it so very much. And we want to invite you to be a part. So make sure you do sign up. And then to help other folks see what's coming... Uh, there, is a, there is a place where if you could just write down what you think you might be bringing for the potluck, uh, that way there can be a great variety, all right? So that's all in the Resource Center uh, on your way out. Ephesians chapter number 4 is the chapter that deals with our spiritual maturity. Actually, we had the themes of unity at the beginning of the chapter. Also looked at diversity of the body. And now we're looking at the concept of maturity and really the whole purpose that God has for us being a part of a local body is so that God could use that body to help us grow up. And that word perfecting throughout Ephesians chapter number 4 is the word for maturing. So back in verse number 12, we saw really, I would say, the theme verse for this chapter, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. God wants to take every local church and build it up. God's desiring for the believers that are part of that local congregation individually to grow up, to mature, so that God would be able to take this local body and use it for His glory. And so over the past few weeks, we have been looking at the pathway to maturity. I want you to remember that this is a letter written to relatively young Christians. And as the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this important letter, what we find are really some of these early marks of maturity. If you look at a a child growing up in a home, you're going to note that there are certain marks in the life of that child that allow us to see that that child is growing, that child is maturing. So in our notes, we saw from the last two weeks uh, the emphasis of our words in uh, this arena of maturity. And uh, that will find, as you follow along with me, I'm going to read beginning in verse number 22 forward. The scripture says that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man 
which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There ought to be a distinct difference in each of our lives after we've trusted Jesus as our Savior. When you receive Christ, you also get the Holy Spirit of God. And we become, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, a new creature in Christ. Old things, they're passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so for the child of God, especially here as we think of just baby children, new believers in Christ, one of the ways that we can mark our maturing is in the arena of our words. And we learn from verse 25 and verse 30, uh, it should be uh, 25 and verse 29, that our words uh, are also uh, changed because of this relationship that I now have uh, with the Father through the Son. I am a child of God, and God helps me by His grace to put off that old conversation and put on the new one. So look at verse 25 concerning words. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. One of the very first earmarks of this new life in Jesus Christ, really what everybody ought to be able to see that's different about you as a, ch a child of God is all of a sudden uh, the words are different. Our vocabulary changes. God gives us the grace, the help, the strength to see that he's made me a new creature in Christ. Jesus said, listen, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when the heart is changed, guess what? God's going to, through the Holy Spirit of God, allow you to speak in such a way that others are going to be able to say, boy, there's something different about you. There's something that's changed. And all of us ought to have that testimony. We saw the putting on of the right kind of words, putting off the wrong kind of words. Uh, again, in verse number 29, look at the kind of words we're putting off. Let no corrupt or rotten communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying or building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So here's the contrast. All right, the old words, what were they? Rotten. All right, our speech could have been rotten. Maybe there's a lot of profanity that came from our lips. Maybe there are bad jokes that came from our lips. Maybe in our conversation one with another, we would find ourselves talking like the world talks. But God says, listen, I want you to put off that, and I want you to put on not that which is rotten, but that which is healthy. And the, the two things that are mentioned at the end of verse number 29 are good to the use of edifying. So now my words ought to be words that build up. That's what the word edify means. Are you desiring for God to use you in his body to build up? Is our conversation such that God gets honor and glory? But not only building up, that verse also taught us that it may minister grace unto the hearers. You ought to see the opportunity to speak with a brother or sister in Christ as an opportunity to minister grace, as an opportunity here to build up, as an opportunity here to allow our words uh, really to be 
the highlight here is folks look at us, they're saying that they're changed. And I can tell because God's changed their language, their words. All right, so that was the first major thrust we saw on the put off and put on. The second one was that second point, and we filled in the blanks, but we looked at maturity in the area of wrath or anger. You know, a, a, a child sometimes can throw a fit. Uh, if they're undisciplined, uh, sometimes uh, all of a sudden that little child has no control and they are just being angry because a little child, life is all about themselves. A little child is not concerned with how mom slaved over a meal or uh, how she did the laundry or how uh, dad went to work and provided the roof over their head or the, the toys that they're enjoying. That child could care less about any of that. Uh, and it could get angry because, uh, again, a child endlessly is about self. And as that child matures, they come to a place where they recognize it's just not about me. I'm a part of a family. And so they learn how to get along with brothers and sisters, and they learn how to give respect to mom and dad. And, and so this wrath or this anger is, again, a hallmark of the old life, and God says, listen, I don't want you to put anger on. Uh, the last verse of this chapter tells us really what we ought to put on and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So instead of just being angry and all about self, what we find here is that God changes us and allows us here by his grace to demonstrate the love of Christ in uh, our life. Now, before we get into this third area this morning, and it is our, our, our theme, I, I want us to, to recognize that uh, Satan, the hallmarks of Satan's life are really found in the opposite of the points that we're looking at. And let me, for instance, just help you with something. John chapter number 8, we're going to come right back here, but just go to John chapter number 8 for a moment. And we're going to see that the life of Satan, uh, the hallmark of his life is uh, the opposite of what God calls us to be in Ephesians 4 where he's desiring for us to have uh, words that are gracious and words that build up and to put off what? We have to put off lying. We have to put off corrupt, rotten communication. What does the Bible say about Satan? Look at verse 44 of John 8. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of what? Of these lies. So when God is encouraging us to put on and to put off, what he's saying is he's saying, listen, don't be like your old father, the devil. You say, boy, that's harsh. No, Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. And Jesus is the one that told the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. 
So as a child of God, I've got to realize that God's looking for there to be a transformation in my life. And, and, and by the way, this is not me struggling to try to clean up my language. This is something that the Holy Spirit is well able to do as the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to my life now. God provides me the power whereby I might be able to speak in such a way that it's pleasing to the Lord, that it's building up. God can help you. Have you asked him? Some of us struggle maybe in the area of language and, and it's just the old life that cut, rears its head once in a while in, in our conversations. Can I help you with something this morning? Why don't you just throw up a prayer and say, God, would you help me speak in a way that would be pleasing to you? See, our words give us away. Our words allow us to either be in that category of maturing, growing believers or immature, carnal believers. So does this issue of anger, of wrath. Listen, Satan was the first murderer. Satan here uh, is angry. And when you and I demonstrate this anger, we are demonstrating the character of Satan, not of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does this verse teach us in Ephesians 4? Be angry and sin not. So we've gone from words to wrath. And God is trying here to help us put off the things that need to be put off, put on the right kind of things. And in this area of wrath, we've got to realize that, that Satan uh, really is uh, the father, not just of lies, but he is the father of wrath and of anger as well. Go, go with me to Revelation chapter 12 for just a moment. I'm going to just kind of park on Satan for just a little bit because I think this is important for us to get a hold of this morning. This is, of course, a passage, Revelation chapter number 12. That deals here with uh, Satan. It deals with his coming. It deals with his working here in this world, his hatred for Israel, his desire to destroy the seed of the woman. And in verse number 12 of Revelation 12, the Bible says, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the Inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you. Notice this. The devil has come down unto you having great, what? Wrath. Great wrath. Because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Listen, Satan is angry today. He's angry at the church. He's angry at any place that will be a, a lighthouse for the gospel. He's angry when Christian families want to hold up Christian values. He's angry when we don't follow him in lies and deceit. He's angry when we refuse to allow uh, an anger to be self-centered. You say, well, that verse taught us to uh, be angry. It is a command. Be angry, but sin not. There is a righteous indignation that Jesus demonstrated that was not fleshly anger. It was anger about the cause of God. And it was righteous. Most of our anger is not righteous. 
Most of our anger is very unrighteous. You say, how do I know if it's righteous anger or unrighteous anger? What's the focus of your anger? Why did you get mad? I can guarantee you, if you are driving down the 405 and somebody uh, you know, cuts you off, and all of a sudden you're on their tail honking your horn, uh, that's unrighteous. That's an anger that's focused on what? On me. <laughs> you did that to me. How dare you do that to me? And whenever our anger is centered on somebody did something to me, we, we've got to recognize that that's not of God, and that's not a righteous anger. That's sin, and it needs to be confessed as sin. You say, Pastor, this is a little bit too close to home uh, this morning. I realize that, but God's wanting us to grow up. He's wanting us to demonstrate the marks of spiritual maturity. And those marks are seen in the words that we speak, and they're seen in, in how we deal with anger, how we deal with wrath. And, and so the command is, uh, be ye angry. Uh, the caution is, sin not. The condition is, let not the sun go down on your wrath. By the way, Satan knows that he can keep you in that state of being angry if you let it percolate. And you know what I mean, all right? You just let it stew a little bit. Uh, you just uh, allow that anger. I'm upset with my spouse. I'm upset with my kids. I'm, ex I'm upset with my boss. And we hang on to that anger. And the longer you hang on to it, guess what? Uh, you're you're going to develop this root of bitterness in your life. And it's going to manifest itself in all kinds of ways. And some of them, you just have to go through the newspaper and you say, how in the world could somebody do that to a human being? How in the world could somebody uh, be that cruel, be, 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 be uh, uh, that destructive in, in, in a family environment toward children or toward spouse? And folks, if we don't as Christians get a hold of anger and let not that anger go that uh, the sun go down on our wrath, that means we need to confess it immediately. Don't allow it to fester into something bigger, but allow the Lord to, through His grace, through His Spirit, to, to, to give you victory in that important area. I mentioned here that Satan's come down in great wrath. Can I take you to another verse in uh, Romans chapter number 11 for a second? And the reason I'm mentioning this is I, I know in the day and age that we live, it's important for every church and every Christian to understand that our, our job as a, a, a church is to be a lighthouse and God's desiring for this gospel seed to be spread throughout all the world. That's exactly what Jesus gave as the Great Commission. And I realize that we're living in a day and age where as we're trying to cast the seed of the Word of God, it seems like, why, isn't, why aren't we having the impact that we think we should be having? And one of the reasons is because Satan is come down with great wrath because he knows his time is short and he is very busy doing his work. You say, what's his work? According to the parable of Jesus, it's to snatch the seed away before it can take root in someone's heart. The sower, sowing the seed of the Word of God, and Jesus gave the interpretation of it, and it fell on some good ground, some stony ground. 
And we see that what is Satan up to when the word of God goes forth? He's there to snatch that seed away. He doesn't want your life changed or transformed. He doesn't want you to take the truth of Ephesians 4 and say, by God's grace, there's things that I need to put on. And with God's help, there's things that I can put off. And I can grow. Why doesn't Satan want you mature? You've got to ask yourself that question. Why does Satan want to keep Christians in a perpetual state of childishness? Because as long as we're in the playpen, he cannot, God cannot use us on the battlefield. Satan is so busy trying to get the people of God as immature and childish as possible, their life all about themselves. Why? Because there is a battle that's raging. At Ephesians 6, we're going to get into the armor, and that's where God's trying to lead the church. He's saying, listen, would you, would you get out of this childish state? And would you realize here that there's a battle that I'm calling you to? And as long as you're still in the spiritual nursery, I can't use you in the battle. And so, put off. Put on. Allow God to change your words. Allow God to change your spirit of anger and wrath. I, I, I'm asking you there in Romans 11 to follow along as I read verse number 25. Brother Irv, this has got to be a, a precious passage here to you as, as a born-again Jew. Verse number 25 says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should uh, be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. There is a blindness over the nation of Israel, not allowing Satan's not allowing them to see that Jesus truly is the Messiah. That will not take place until the times of the Gentiles is over. When does that take place? Well, at the rapture. God takes out his church. Then what's going to happen? Well, then the Bible tells us here the fullness of the Gentiles become. How does that happen? How do we know when the fullness of the Gentiles has taken place? Uh, that Greek word has the understanding of full number. When that last soul is saved, and Satan's doing everything he can in his weak power compared to the power of God to keep the gospel message from going forth, because if the gospel seed takes root in hearts and more people get saved, guess what? There's coming a day when that last soul will be saved, and this old church is going to be raptured out of this place. So the church ought to be all about seeing more folks come to Christ as Satan is working diligently to keep people from accepting Christ. That's the battle. And, and most churches are oblivious to the reality that that's really the war. Satan knows his time is short. He's come down in great wrath. He's angry about a gospel-preaching church. Well, we know we're headed toward the end times. The Bible talks about apostasy in the, in the church. 
the Bible talks about as the days of Noah. God gives us glimpses, but isn't it amazing here that Satan knows, sometimes more so than Christians know that the time is short. Satan's in great wrath. Uh, exercising what authority he has over the demons of hell, desiring to hinder the work of God. And by the way, I believe with all my heart that one of the greatest works that he's hindering, and I have to confess, uh, he, can, he can cause us to be spiritually blind to the obvious. I think one of the ways that Satan is working in great wrath is just trying to keep the church off its knees. Because that's where the real power is. That's where God does that real work in transforming lives so that they have now that power to put off and to put on. God's interested in the church being involved in this great work. Satan will do everything he can to hinder it. And we have to come to the place individually where we want to say, I want to mature. I want to grow up. Maybe 2018 is the year that you ask God, would you just let me come to a place of full maturity in Christ so that, God, you can accomplish your work in your church. I'm a part of the church. I'm a part of this body, and I want to be mature so that uh, as Satan knows his time is short. Oh, that the church would realize our time is short too. As Satan recognizes the reality of how desperate he is and how he wants to keep that last soul from being saved, we ought to be just as desperate to want to get the gospel to that last one, wherever they might be in all the world. Thank you for your giving to missions here at Crown Point Baptist Church. Why? The gospel's going forth. Thank you for uh, just your participation in this ministry. Why? So that the word of God can continue to go forth. And God's desire is for the church to grow so that Satan is defeated and we stand in victory in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Number three this morning, not only do we see these words that we've looked at, we see this wrath, but I want you to see uh, back in Ephesians chapter number four, this theme of work. Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter number four. Now again, the whole theme here is put on, put off, put on, put off. We've learned here about be angry and sin not. We've learned here about putting off uh, these uh, words uh, that, uh, uh, that are of the old life. But now I want you to focus here on verse number 27. I, I have to read verse number 26, 27, 28 together. All right? So follow along. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. All right? Yeah, we're preaching on the devil. He's real. I'm not supposed to give him an opening in my life, and we're not supposed to open the door here at church to his work. Don't give him place. When I'm angry, I'm giving him place. 
when my speech is rotten, corrupt communication, I'm opening up a door for Satan. And now the Bible goes on into this next area of our Christian life and walk, and that has to do with our work. Our words, the arena of our wrath, and now the arena of our work. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. All right, very simple three-point outline here this morning. First of all, the simple point is stop your stealing. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 28. Stop your stealing, the arena of our work. Listen, think about it. Here's a, a, a new church, new believers, learning what it is to live the Christian life. How is the world going to see your life different from their life? Well, we just, we're looking at three very, uh, let's say, um, outward kind of uh, attitudes and, and uh, just something that's seen by the world pretty easily or heard. Uh, the words are different and, you know, somebody's going to notice that. What's different about you? What's different about you? Wrath. Uh, it's not sinful wrath. It's not self-centered wrath. That's put away. That's put off. And, and the world can look at that and say, wow, there's something different about you. Boy, you used to fly off the handle all the time. You used to get angry. You're always, always just angry, angry, angry. Well, let me tell you, when, when we're angry, we are not under the influence of the Spirit of God. We're under that old man, Adamic nature, spirit of Satan, because he's filled with wrath. He's filled with lies. And in this arena, the Bible says, stop your stealing, verse number 28. Let him that stole steal no more. What an admonition. I want us just to look at this because... In the world that we live in, the, the reality is uh, stealing is something that is almost a given in the lives of so many in this world. And I'm not talking about going to the local convenience store and trying to hold it up. I'm just talking about an everyday, uh, what we would consider, um, well, uh, uh, maybe it's wrong if I kind of fudge on the IRS forms, but you know, maybe it's okay. Uh, there's so many areas here that we've got to recognize that God's wanting us to demonstrate uh, this attitude of uh, a work ethic versus this thought of thievery. I, I looked up on a website here, shopliftingprevention.org, and got some statistics for you here this morning. Uh, they say that there are 27 million Americans that are shoplifters. It's one in 11 people. And that these shoplifters, on average, steal between $2 and $200 every time they shoplift. And the average is one and a half to two times a week. For them, it is 
and this is coming from the mouth of those that have been addicted to drugs, it is that rush, that high, of taking something that does not belong to them. One in 48 times somebody will get caught. And half of the time uh, they will be presented to the authorities. The other half of the time the store just says, okay, don't do it again. It's absolutely amazing. $190 billion a year are lost through credit card fraud. That's just one area of thievery. Um, the businesses that uh, run today, the theft that they have to mark into their product and how much they have to add to the cost of everything because of theft is, is unbelievable. They write off 60% of theft that comes from their own employees in business. It's just bad. It's, it's epidemic. It's the culture. If I want it, I'll take it. And, and God's telling us, listen, let him that stole steal no more. Listen, that was a part of your life. Put it off. Now in Jesus Christ, you don't need that anymore. What you need is to learn here how to have a, a work ethic. Some folks have asked me, Pastor, why politically are you a conservative? Well, because I see socialism as the theft of resources from others. You take something that's not yours, and usually it's governments, and they take it by force, and they give it to those that really haven't earned it or haven't worked for it. God has a simple program him here. Let him that stole steal no more. Uh, and I think that's why so many Christians here through the years, if they really get into the Bible, they realize that, oh boy, I, I have got to let my, uh, my votes here line up with what I believe the values of the Word of God are. And, and so here in the society that we are living, uh, there is an epidemic of those that are um, taking instead of giving. And God's plan for the child of God is that we, first of all, stop our stealing. Just stop it. I recognize that if a politician comes and, and, and they may, in glowing terms, try to get us to think that, well, this is just you know, for the good of, good of all. There used to be something in our society where we really had a heart, neighbor for neighbor, community for community, family for family, to reach out and be a help. And when the government has taken that role and we allow the government to do that, oh, we're just setting ourselves up for tremendous, tremendous corruption. And so we have to recognize that God is against the child of God living that lifestyle. Maybe in your life it was as a child. I, I, uh, I think I started my life of crime uh, around the cookie jar. I don't know about you, but that's where I, I started by thievery. Uh, my mom was a good, good cook and a good baker. And uh, she knew I had a problem because she would put that thing as high as she possibly could, right, as a deterrent. Uh, but somehow I could climb up on counters and 
I could uh, climb into cupboards and, you know, just like a ladder, you know, just climbing up. Why? Because the cookies are there. I want something that isn't mine. And it's from our, our youth. We steal when we fail to report income. We steal when we pad our expenses. We steal when we lie to insurance adjusters for a claim. It's all theft. Just heard a joke at the men's prayer meeting. He said, no, it's just a pastor joking about uh, someone slipping there in the parking lot and, and the pastor saying, oh, why don't you just uh, go ahead and take a claim against the church? We need some new windows. And, and I hope he was joking. I really do. Because that's theft. That is stealing. And, and God's desiring here for us to recognize that because I'm a child of God, ah, there's things I've got to put off and there's things I've got to put on. And the things I've got to put off are, are, are that old life and that old way. And that uh, thievery, any way we want to want to want to cloak it is still sin against God. You know, when I fail to pay a debt that I owe. And, and I realize that, you know, there are some times we're under circumstances that are just beyond us. We don't know what to do. And, and yet as a Christian, we can at least come to our Father in heaven and say, God, help me. May have been here something that was done uh, that uh, spiraled out of control in your life. But, you know, you know, if, if we are allow our families to be put in debt, then we take responsibility for that. You say, well, the government made, made it so easy. I know. That's the, that's the hard thing, isn't it? There's always an easy way out. And, and, and in, in my own heart before God, I, I want to have a testimony that I, I'll do the best I can to, to not in any way take that which does not belong to me. Why? Because it honors God. Uh, one of the ways that we as believers can honor God is uh, with what he blesses us with. Uh, many of us know that little last uh, book of Malachi, chapter number 3. It's a pointed book. Verse number 8 simply says, Will a man rob God? Can I tell you something? If, if we can rob man, what makes us think that we're immune to robbing God? If I can cheat my fellow man, what keeps me from cheating God, robbing God? You say, is it possible for a believer to rob God? Yes, the Bible says it clearly. And here's what the scripture says. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? Here's the phrase, in tithes and offerings. Now, God's heart is that we would realize that it's not like God is broke or something, or God needs our money. God allows us to participate in this wonderful dynamic of trust and faith and giving joyfully. Why? Because God's a, a, a bigger giver than I ever thought I could be. And he's wanting to stretch my faith. He's wanting me to grow. 
And so the scripture tells us, bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's amazing. God simply says, listen, put off, put on. Let him that stole, steal no more. And listen, I would rather be found guilty in a a court of stealing here uh, from the grocer than I would be uh, stealing from God. They're both wrong. They're both sinful. They're both horrific. I... I, I, uh, you know, you wonder why we're raising a generation of criminals, and sometimes it's because moms and dads don't take it serious. I, uh, I was in San Jose, had uh, one of my young boys with me in the grocery store, and as we're going through the line, I remember the story, I remember the time. Uh, I'm, I'm driving home with him in his car seat, and I see his mouth is moving a lot. And what's he got in his mouth? Gum. Where did he get gum? Standing at me at the checkout. There it is. Right there at eye level. <laughs> right where that little one can see it. And I'm sure for a second he kind of looked around. I wasn't paying attention. And he's looking this way and he's looking that way. And I'm sure it's just that easy. Boom. Boom. Now it's mine. <laughs> and there on the way home, by the time... Uh, I I, I recognized what was all taking place, and I think I was already home. The story gets fuzzy after 30-some years. But I turned around, put him in his car seat, drove back to the store, and asked to see the manager. And I went up to the manager with my little son, and I said, Sir, we have something to tell you. And my little boy there, with tears in his eyes, had to look at this big manager and tell him that he took a package of gum. It's broken. Sin. He knew it. His little heart knew it. And, of course, the manager didn't know what to do, right? And uh, he's just all flustered. Oh, that's okay. You know how they, oh, that's okay. It's like everybody does it, you know? And I'm just going, no, that was wrong. That was sin. And we need to pay for that. And so I pull out my wallet and take the money and give it to him and then went home and made sure that it was taken out of his money that he learns at a very early age, couldn't have been more than four or five years old, at a very early age that, you know, you don't take what doesn't belong to you. God gives us a new nature. And God says, listen, uh, I don't want you to... Have a life where you are just a taker. God's a giver. And God wants to teach us how to give. And God says, if you'll just learn it, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven in your life. I, I, want, I want your blessing. It's not, I want to take something from you. I want to give something to you. And all the blessings that come when we do. Letter A, uh, stop your stealing quickly. Letter B, start working. Go back to Ephesians 4, verse number 28. Boy, God has an amazing program. I'd like to have a politician one day just address these vital principles 
right from Scripture. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the things which is good. Stop stealing, start working. It's God's plan. Matter of fact, the Bible says, listen, if you won't work, you shouldn't. Help me. Eat. That's God's plan. Now, I realize that there are some times where people are absolutely destitute and sin took them lower than they ever thought they would go. And they do need compassion. They do need a hand up. But can I tell you, God's overall plan for humanity is, listen, don't take. All right, it doesn't belong to you. You're a Christian. You're new in Christ. Recognize here that we stop stealing, we start working. And there is something very noble about work. Uh, we're taught today uh, to mock work and mock producers and mock those that, that actually will apply themselves, that, that enjoy just the fact that in their mind they're taking advantage of everybody else as they get to sit home on the couch. Listen, work and a work ethic is not to be mocked. God says it's good. And so uh, the, the admonition is stop your stealing, start working. Start working. Listen, there's a reward in work. There's blessing in work. There's satisfaction in work. Some folks say, no, uh, Pastor, you don't understand. Work is a result of the fall. No, it's not. Adam was told to dress the garden before the fall. He was given work before sin came into the garden. Now, there were consequences that came with his work after sin. It wasn't going to be nearly as, joy, as enjoyable as it, it was before. It'll be with toil. But listen, God's honored work. God has established here uh, the opportunity to work, and we ought to thank God for that. So stop stealing. Start working. And then lastly, save so that you can share. Look at the end of verse number 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him work. Uh, let, uh, um, let, let's see, working with his uh, hands the things which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Pretty simple plan. Stop stealing, start working, and save so you can share. God wants to use you. God's blessed some of the families in our church in some unbelievable ways, and they have been such a blessing to this ministry. And as we have desired to, uh, I mean, stretch our faith, it's been exciting to see uh, just how the faith of individual families have been stretched as well. And they've seen God be true. When he says in Malachi 3.10, Prove me and see if I'll not open up the windows of heaven... There are families here that have testified to me this year, Pastor, this is the year that I've just got a handle on it, and I just can't believe all the blessings that have come my way because I've stopped robbing from God. And that's how we've got to look at it. I've stopped robbing God. I've given honor to the Lord. That's what... Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with thy substance. 
and with the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty. It's honoring to God. It's putting us out of the realm of the old devil. He's the thief, isn't he, according to John 10? He's a thief, he's a liar. Uh, he's the one that's filled with wrath. Listen, all of these things God's desiring to develop in my life that show the difference between me and Satan and his crowd. Satan and his crowds, the words are lies. He's the father of lies. Uh, the anger, he's coming down in great anger and work. Uh, we see here that God's desiring uh, not for us to be thieves like Satan is. He comes like a thief. But uh, the Bible uh, tells us uh, there is another way. May God help us this morning as we take the admonition, God, I want to grow. Would you help me put on certain things that are going to be uh, a blessing in your eyes and would you help me to put off by your grace, by your help? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.